Can you? Oh. Oh. Wow. You know, as promised, I want to talk about, that's not me, I want to talk about mandates this morning. But before we get there, I want to address a few things, but I want to start by thanking all of you for showing up Monday night to pray for Ernie Stone. He's not completely out of the woods yet, but we're hopeful that God will continue to heal his body and, and help him to relax. And, and I, I don't want to say enjoy the ride, but just that his, that his spirit and his body would just settle down and find this rhythm of God's heart, and, and that heartbeat would draw him out of that dark place. Amen. And continue to lift up the family. This is always an incredibly tough journey. So, Glenna, we're certainly praying for you, sister, you and your family, and man, we love you guys tremendously. So uh, we also had to kind of split that night up. We went down to the park and had a great time also of handing out clothing and just ministering to people, laying hands on people and praying, and it was awesome. People are so receptive right now. Have you felt that? People, people want to hear good news. And the greatest news, I think, that man could ever hear is the news of the gospel, that good and glorious great and awesome, powerful, joyful news. Amen? Amen. Um, Going to get that up there for me? Thank you, Tony. Tony's one of those unsung heroes that if something do- doesn't go right, everybody kind of looks up there. But I tell you, this guy is amazing. Let's, let's hear it for Tony. That is a tunnel. For those of you that didn't know, that is a tunnel. And if you notice, there's light at the end of that tunnel. Right? What you probably don't know, most of you, is that's Tunnel 9, which is not too many miles from here. It's the last train tunnel to the Rogue Valley before they hit the Siskiyous and encounter another set of tunnels. Years ago, when we were young and dumb... We used to ride our dirt bikes through that. And for years, we rode through that in the dark. Now, some dirt bikes have these little headlights that are absolutely worthless. At night, you can see about three feet. That's it. And the bummer about in there is sometimes because of the water and stuff, there'd be railroad ties that were rotted out. So you, you really had to make sure you didn't hit a big hole. And then one day, we stopped, and a friend of mine, he said, didn't you know you can flip that switch? See that little box there? I didn't say we were smart. Gary walked up and he flipped the switch and about 10 lights went on in that tunnel. So for years we've been going through this tunnel at warp speed, hoping we didn't hear any, hit anything that was laying in the tracks, coming out the other side going into Sunny Valley. So I'm telling you, I hope the lights go on. When we share today, I don't know if I'll make it all through this today, but I'm going to try, but I don't want to speed through this. And before we start, I'm just going to leave that up there. That's an awesome tunnel. It really is. We hiked down into that the other day, and Jonathan took that picture. But um, Turn with me, if you would, to Psalms 119. Before we can have any kind of discussion on spiritual issues, I think it's important that we have some kind of basic footing, some kind of basic foundation that we're starting from, the plumb line. For us as believers, it must be, in my humble opinion, the Word of God. And that needs to be our default setting. The challenge with a lot of electronic equipment stuff is, as you start adding more and more things to it, there comes a point... There comes a point where all of a sudden you have to go back to the default settings because so many other programs, so many other things have crept into the hard drive and you got to defrag and do all this stuff to make it work right again. And a lot of times it's, let's go to default settings. How many understand that idea or concept of default settings? For me, whenever I go to spiritual issues, I have to go back to my default and that is the word of God. 
So before we can honestly and seriously take a look at mandates, we have to understand where our baseline is. And to me, Psalms 119 highlights the importance of not only hearing God's word, but living accordingly. You have to really go through Psalms 119. There's what, 176 verses, I believe. There's a ton of verses. I think it's the biggest chapter in the entire Bible. And it's filled with wisdom. It's filled with incredible insights. And it goes, it repeats over and over again the importance of the Word of God. Trusting in the Word. Letting your life be guided by the Word of God. In order to live a life according to God's will, we first must know how He has called us to live. And we find that in the Word of God. In order to know that, we cannot rely, first of all, on our own thinking. How many of you have gotten in trouble when you mix the Word of God with your own thinking? Yeah. Jim Durkin, the founder of Gospel Outreach, used to say this. He said, we talk about the Scripture, and then we say at the end, but we know today. Yeah, the Word of God, you know, says da-da-da-da-da, but today it's different. Well, that but will get you in a lot of trouble. We cannot be adding that to the Word of God. So, I believe that Psalms 119, I wrote here, embodies the wisdom we receive from reading the Bible. The verses also reveals the important truth. To live like a Christian, to live like Christ, who lived out God's teachings, uh, teachings perfectly. Let me read that again. <clears throat> this important truth, to live like a Christian is to live like Christ. Amen? Who lived out God's teachings perfectly. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I, I don't know about you, but how many like a little light at night when you're walking? Especially when your grandkids are over and you know somewhere in the middle of the night in the carpet, there is Legos. You want a light. You want to be able to see where all those things are. It goes on, I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, <clears throat> the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have strayed. I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statues are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. So the author here is pretty serious about the Word of God, right? It is the plumb line. So again, in order to give some kind of spiritual response to all of these mandates that we're facing, I think we have to start from the Word. So if you would now turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Just to give you a little bit of context about 1 Corinthians, um, first, Corinth, Corinth was, um, was really an influential city, um, was a seaport city, and it was strategically located at the crossroads of the world. They were incredibly prosperous. They were powerful. If anything, too, they were very decadent. It was a city that God wanted to reach with the power of the gospel. Does that sound familiar? God wants to reach every city with the power of the gospel. So God sent the Apostle Paul to Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he wanted Paul to establish a church in that city that was in desperately need, in desperate need of God's love and his truth. So I believe that Paul spent something like a year and a half in Corinth where he saw the church grow, he saw many believers added to it daily. It was really happening, and then he had to move on. And he was, he's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, from Ephesus. And, and all of a sudden, they realized in Corinth, they needed their spiritual father's wisdom. They were having some problems. And if you study and read through Acts, you'll see apparently he sent a delegation. They sent a delegation, and they arrived from Corinth, and they're, 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 they're talking to Paul, and they're telling Paul what's going on and what's taking place, and they're asking for his advice. So Paul begins responding to certain issues and problems that were happening in the Corinthian church, and he writes this beautiful letter. And if you notice anything about First and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians is all about Melba Toast, man. 
He's addressing issues. There's, there's moral issues. There's, there's all kinds of issues going on. There's marriage issues. There's idolatry issues. There's a ton of issues going on, and he's addressing them. But if you study and read 2 Corinthians, you see by the time 2 Corinthians rolls around, these guys are eating T-bone steaks, right? Paul really gets into some heavy stuff in 2 Corinthians, which is really powerful. But we have to kind of take this all in context. So Paul's writing this letter to encourage them to carry on in their faith and to be, uh, remain steadfast in all of the truths that he had taught them about and from the gospel, right? So while, while this letter is certainly directed at a particular congregation uh, in a particular Roman city, I think we're very much that same audience today. So where we go from here in a moment, I want us to think in those, uh, kind of think along those lines. Can we turn some air on in here or something? It's, Lewis, it's kind of warm up here. <clears throat> Corneth was really a lot like a lot of modern cities today. It was a very modern, cosmopolitan city. A lot of cultures, a lot of people come in. It probably could be compared to cities like Seattle and New York and L.A. and Big cities that have a lot of influence, a lot of cultures, everything kind of coming together in one point. Um, its people were, if you read anything, you'll see that their people were really staunch uh, individualists, and I think their behaviors uh, reflected this individualism. Their spirituality was really polytheistic. Polytheistic is characterized by polytheism. Polytheism is the doctrine that there is more than one God, there's many gods. So this is what Paul's addressing he comes into this city that has all of these, it's just an eclectic group of thoughts and ideas and concepts and ways and, 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 and things that people are interacting with each other. So Paul's trying to work with that. Does that sound familiar? Very much so. You know, polytheism, kind of an interesting sidebar note, is virtually all religions have that form of faith. They believe there's gods and there's many gods, but it's interesting to note, too, that Judaism and uh, Christianity and Islam, they're the only three that I know of that share a common tradition, and that is monotheism. That is the belief in one God. So think of what Paul's dealing with here. All of these ideas and all of these thoughts. Crazy. What a melting pot of ideas. So we see that there was a great need. These, these, these young believers in Corinth were accommodating the gospel in ways that made it palatable to the surrounding culture. Does that sound familiar? You know, I, I, I really, really struggle with a lot of sermons in the past few years that have been in the large church in general that have just been all about hyping people up and, and not really addressing absolute truth. And when, the, when it all is coming down, when it's all falling apart, it's only absolute truth that's going to hold it all together. Amen? It's fun. It's fun to hear fun sermons that energize our hearts and stir us deep. But at the end of the day, if they're not preaching Jesus crucified and that you need to repent of your sins, if we're not hearing that stuff, that absolute truth, when stuff like this happens, we default back to our old way of thinking. Right? So now that uh, we've kind of rattled through some of the long and boring stuff, I think one of the issues that Paul, in the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, was, was dealing with was the causes and the cures of division. So turn with me, if you would, really quick uh, to, well, you should be already there, but turn to chapter 3. What really grieves my heart today, guys, more than anything, is all the infighting in the body of Christ. It breaks my heart that we can't grace each other and be willing to grace each other and at least sit down and listen to each other. If there was ever a moment when it was like you never felt you could sit down comfortably and talk with anybody about an issue of the heart concerning this way or that way, mandates, all that stuff, it really gets tense, doesn't it? it how many have experienced that? And then we'll, we'll mention Facebook. <clears throat> it just goes, it explodes. People feel this freedom to just post all, now I get it, I get, I get your passion, I get all that, but at the end of the day, this is what Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians. He says, 
Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it yet. Mm. Indeed, you are still not ready, for you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being mere human beings? In the NLT, it says, aren't you acting just like people in the world? Oh, that hurts. In the, in the, in the Passion Translation, I, I, know, I know it's just a running commentary, but I love the way it says in verse 3, it says, as for you, living your lives dominated by your mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourself with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you're living your life centered around yourselves, dominated by mindset of the flesh and behaving like unbelievers. You know, as followers of Jesus, guys, we should stand out from the rest of the world. We should be, as Jesus taught in Matthew 5, a light unto the world. Everything we do, everything we say, and all the ways that we act, we should be the ones showing the way, shining as a light. But that's not happening. You know, it, it, going back 2,000 years to Corinthia, uh, to Corneth, and Paul writing this letter, it, it appears we have the same problem today. That was at work nearly 20, 2,200 years ago. I don't know the actual time, but it's people who say they follow Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, but they act just like the world. Contextually, Paul is describing people who act like the world. They, they exhibit certain qualities and characteristics. One is they're jealous. Two, they're fighting and bickering amongst each other. Those are the ones acting just like the world. How many of us are in that camp? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. It's easy to get sucked up into this stuff, isn't it? It's like, well, I have an opinion. I'm going to... Stop it. Let's see if we can stop acting like the world and begin to act like Jesus would act. That, that doesn't mean we have to compromise. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But it does mean there come those point, moments when we're just going to have to understand what's more important, being right or doing the right thing. You know, Jesus on a sermon on the mount, he said to seek first the kingdom of God. So let's, let's put some stuff in priority here. Jesus said, seek first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we're seeking God's kingdom first and his righteousness, we want to be in right standing with him. We're doing whatever it takes to please him. We follow his laws. We read his word. God's going to give us everything we need in this life. I'm just telling you, how many know that to be truth? That God has blessed you with so much. You honor him, he honors you. I don't understand how that works, and I don't want to know. I just know it does work. We honor the Father, and he honors us. My wife and I, we, we sold <clears throat> everything we had to go full-time ministry years ago. This is our story. It's not a prerequisite for anything deep. It's our story. You guys, most of you know it. We sold our home. We gave up everything, and we went full-time ministry. We worked with street people. We went under bridges and brought people out. And, and we, we were surrounded by all kinds of wicked, filthy diseases. There was all, AIDS was going on. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It never entered our minds. God covered us with food and finances in ways that I, I can't begin to express. They were just there. They just showed up. God took care of us because we were seeking him first and we were honoring him. I'm going to tell you, this verse, the meaning of this verse is as direct as it sounds. We are to seek the things of God as a priority over the things of the world. Amen? Primarily, what it means is we're to seek the salvation that's inherent in the kingdom of God because it is of greater value than all the world's riches. Can you get your heart around that? If you can start to realign some of your thinking, 
It's going to help you navigate these waters that we're facing today. <clears throat> you know, does this mean that we should neglect the responsibility and daily duties that, that uh, help sustain our lives? No, absolutely not. What about civic duties and responsibilities there? No, we're called to change this world. We're called to change the environment. Wherever we go and put our foot, we're called to bring the kingdom of God into that environment. And I've seen time and time again, when you have that hard attitude and you bring the kingdom into the workplace and live your life for Jesus and live and operate like Jesus, it changes the environment. Amen? Oh my, that's how we should be living our lives. But I'm telling you, there are times when we need to stand up to tyranny. And I'm all in. And some of you are doing that in a very dignified way, and I'm very proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys for standing up. But for the Christian, there should be a difference in our attitude towards how we approach the things of the world. If we're taking care of God's business as a priority, mm, if we're seeking his salvation, if we're living in obedience to him, if we're sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with others, then he will take care of our business as he promised. Amen? So in the end, what's all the fuss? Why all the worry? Well, I want to tell you, when I first came to Jesus, I know that for quite a few years I was raised by the world. And I'd learned the ways of the world. I left home at 16. My stepmom wrote me a letter and she said, in this, in this family you're dead, you don't exist, so leave now. And I left, 16 years old. I had a car. I had a job working nights, cleaning up at Albertsons, cleaning up the meat department. And I worked my way through high school. And, and, and I had a lot of ideas that I brought forward with me as I finally came into Jesus. And he, he, he radically changed my life. But I still had a lot of stinking thinking. Who says it? Is that you, Max? A lot of, lot of thinking that went with that wasn't right. And I would defend sometimes. I'd find myself defending my position. Then I realized it's nowhere in the Word. So I had to go back and I had to allow my soul to be retrained. And I had to allow and understand that my soul was trying to run my life. And I had to tell my soul to submit to my spirit, which was now linked to God. And my spirit man began to grow and began to, begin to say, Soul, shut up. Soul, settle down. This soul talk, it's nothing new. David talked to his soul all the time. He would say, soul, take joy. Soul, come on. He would talk to that part of his being that was being controlled by his old lifestyle, his old ways. And when we can learn to allow the Spirit of God to lead us and not our soul and our flesh, oh, we'll navigate these mandates like nobody's business. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. You guys, we've heard this probably a kajillion times. Is that even a number, kajillion? Therefore, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a problem. Our old nature doesn't want to do that. Some of us need to crawl back up on that altar. Big time. We're kind of letting an arm or a foot or a couple feet hang out. We're wanting to drop out, but God's saying, get back in here. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here's verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Yeah? And we've heard many, many, many teachings in this house about renewing our minds, changing our way of thinking. Bill Johnson has done a beautiful job over the years of that. Really, Jim Durkin, man, he, he challenged the way you thought so many times. Oh, my goodness. In, in the Passion Translation, it says, stop imitating the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you. Uh-oh. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how we think. 
This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Wow. How many of you could probably use a little bit of adjustment in your thinking? (laughs) I constantly have to adjust that and make corrections as I'm moving forward. Ah. But wait a minute, Pastor. You said you were going to talk about mandates. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mandates. Should I mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get the vax? Should I not get the vax? Should my kids go to school? Should my kids not go to school? Should I sign the papers or not sign the papers? They're mandating all this stuff to us. They're forcing all this on us. Guys, it's no wonder that a fog has fallen on the minds of millions of Christians and believers around the world who have no idea in this moment. They're so frustrated. They don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe. They don't know where to stand or what to do in this moment. Amen? I cannot tell you how much my phone has rang off the wall with believers that are struggling with this very thing. Other pastors in the vineyard, they're all struggling with the very same thing. It's as if people have just taken their football. They're so discouraged, they're just grabbing their football and they're going home. And they're just sitting down, being quiet. They're so incredibly frustrated. You know, I know that this situation seems incredibly complicated. But knowing what to believe and what to do, I believe, is really quite simple. I think you need to ask yourself, what will be my greatest regret when all of this is over? Because this too shall pass. But what will be my greatest regret when this is all over? What will haunt me the most in the future about my decisions and my choices today? I think the answer to what you will regret the most is found in the story of three boys who went in the fiery furnace. Amen? Do you guys see the importance of knowing the truth? Because it's in the knowing of the truth, that's how we're set free. Truth itself is sitting there on the shelf. It's in your Bible. It's waiting to set you free, but you got to know it. You got to read it. You got to get your head and heart wrapped around the truth. And in knowing that truth, that's what's going to set you free. Is this making sense? 16 and 18, chapter 3, 16 and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, What's going on here? Is the king gave a mandate? He gave a, he gave a mandate, a command. And he said, Look, When the bell rings, you all bow down and worship that golden idol. If you don't, you're dead. Right? Here was their their reply. Now, I want you to think about this as you're navigating the waters of making choices that are coming towards you at a high rate of speed. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Talk about supernatural courage. Wow, and I've listened to some of the stories of people who are standing so tall in this moment against tyranny. And it's nothing but supernatural courage that's allowing people to do this. Imagine the pressure that was on these three young men. It had to have been unbelievable. There was an entire nation that's standing against them. Does that sound familiar? And the most powerful person in the land was enraged because they weren't bowing down to his mandate. They were standing tall, and they were going, Hey, it ain't going to happen, king. This king wanted to burn them alive. You know, honestly, on the fleshy side for a moment, wouldn't it be best just to pretend to worship 
in order to avoid such a gruesome death? I mean, can you pretend to do that? No. You might be able to. But I'm telling you, that would have been the worst choice they ever made because after it was all over and everything was done, there's only one thing that would have mattered. And that is that they did not make room for a miracle and that they had denied God by worshiping an idol if they had given in. But we know the story. They emerged from that fire victorious. They didn't even smell like smoke. That is crazy cool. They came out of there unscathed. It turned the heart of a nation. It turned the heart of a king. I'm telling you, if more people stood up in this moment in solidarity to certain things and stood together and came together, wow, I think we would see more happen. What gave them such unbelievable courage? I, I, I think they knew who they were. They knew whose they were. They knew that God was in charge. They knew that God had this and had their back, and they were totally surrendered to the outcome regardless of what was going to happen. They knew that their life, their future, everything they had rested in the hands of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? Wow. Do you know who you are? Do you know the word well enough? I know I'm preaching to the choir here and some of you, but some of you, do you really know who you are? I mean, if you find your flesh doing the wig out, do you really know who you are or whose you are? 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people. If we are born again believers, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Before we knew Jesus, we were walking in the darkness. Jesus came along and he called us out of the darkness to step into his light. Everything changed at that moment. The problem is, again, we're dragging a lot of junk with us. He has our heart, but does he have all of our heart? You know, only you can reevaluate that, and, and if this is a moment to do it, it's now. Who does God say we are? Oh, he says so much about who we are. He loves us. He loves us so, so much. I remember somebody, I don't know if it was here or there or some other place, might have been up in the Dallas, but I remember somebody sharing this vision they had about crawling up on daddy's lap. They had grown up with a concept of God that because their father was harsh, he was mean, he beat on them a lot when they were younger. She struggled with coming to God as a loving and kind and gentle father, but then she had this moment. And she was able to let all that go, and she pictured herself crawling up in her daddy's lap. Abba, Father. And just the love that the Father was pouring out on her radically, radically altered her life. So mandates, mandates. By definition, a mandate is an official order or commission to do something. Someone's given you an order or a commission to go do something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, they weren't going to follow that mandate, were they? That came down from the king because it compromised their convictions. Guys, the moment a worldly mandate tries to force us to compromise on our convictions in Christ, it's time to appeal to a higher court. I'm telling you, it is. Our primary focus as believers should be to focus on seeking the kingdom of God first. And in doing so, we will follow kingdom mandates. And I'm going to tell you, kingdom mandates, ah, they don't impress us, oppress us. They don't press us down. They don't distress us. If anything, they empower us to expand the kingdom of God. So I want us to focus real quickly on just some kingdom mandates. Kingdom mandates. Yes, there are some mandates from the kingdom of God, but they're powerful. They're life-giving. They don't oppress us. They don't cause us to be angry and slide sideways on our ear for 100 yards. John 13 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you. And he told us to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another as he loved us. 
That's a mandate. Let's start focusing on the kingdom mandates. If we're seeking God first, we'll see these line up first and we'll follow those. And I think that will be such a big game changer for all that we're looking at right now. The Great Commission in, Mac, in, in Matthew 8, 28, Jesus told his disciples, I've given you all authority. He says, I have, I have given all authority in heaven. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. It's the Great Commission to go into all the earth and to preach the gospel and to train and to raise up people to love and to follow Jesus as well. Amen? That is a, that is a mandate. Another mandate I think is really important, and, and this may come from the fact that we, are, we have a foot in a charismatic and one in a Pentecostal stream. That's just who we are as a people. But healing, healing is a mandate. We have a mandate for the gospel to be demonstrated in power. We do. The healing, the miracles that are all throughout the scriptures, they got to be happening today. And it's vital for us to maintain not only miracles in our own lives, but for the purpose of the miracles, that they always bring glory to God. They bring glory to Jesus, and they demonstrate the power of the gospel. That's a mandate I want to live by. John Wimber taught us that a lifestyle of miracles is for every believer on the planet, Christian, not just special people. We all get to play in the game. That's what I love about the vineyard. Another thing is we have a mandate for revival. We need to carry a revival mandate we need to carry a real mandate for revival continuously. So we must give ourselves to revival with all of our hearts. And let me tell you, we also must be unwilling. Listen, we also must be unwilling to change the subject regardless of the circumstances. Whether it's to be the pandemic or conflict or criticism or whatever it might be. We must hold true to what God has called us to do. We are to be carriers of revival. Everywhere we go, when we put our foot, we should bring reviving, uh, the reviving presence of Jesus. Whatever we put our hands to should bring that reviving presence of Jesus. Amen? I think... I think probably one of the greatest mandates, this really certainly up at the top, relates to bringing heaven to earth. Think about this. Perhaps the greatest mandate of all relates to bringing heaven to earth. The greatest commission we have is the prayer commission Jesus gave us, and that is to pray as it is in heaven, let it happen here on earth. This is a mandate that everything, everything yields to, and that's what God has called us to do. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he preached that very thing. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of times we pray along those lines. Father, would you align every... I do this when I'm in the park praying for homeless people. Father, will you align every cell in their body with your kingdom? Will you bring the kingdom of heaven right now and let it flow in them and through them, from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I don't think the enemy wants me to finish. <clears throat> I heard uh, Lance Wallenau the other day say something along these lines. He's, he's a little different, but, but I love some of the stuff he brings to the table. And he says, maybe heaven is invading earth at this moment, and darkness is reacting. And that could be why it seems so hard in this moment. Think about it. If heaven, if we're praying, heaven, come on, come on down as it is in heaven, let it be here on earth, and heaven is pressing down, and the earth is resisting. You know, if you've ever lived in earthquake country, these tectonic plates, oh my goodness, you can feel the rumble. You can feel it. I've lived in places like that where heavy-duty earthquakes and things crash and tumble. You can see the earth moving and, and rippling across the land. And maybe that's some of the reason we're in this moment right now, because of the tension that's in the atmosphere. Heaven is invading earth. Keep praying it. You know, I know, guys, let's be honest for a moment. I know it's becoming more and more challenging to discuss important topics. 
It's hard. And I know that there are topics that need to be wrestled with and ideologies that need to be evaluated and worldviews that need to be questioned. Luke Garrity, he's the senior pastor at the Red Bluff Vineyard, he says, sadly, our political leanings have become more connected to our identity than our faith in Jesus and our membership in the family of God. Let's stop acting like the world. Let's be unified, guys. Let's come together as believers. You know, I can't say that this morning solves the problem of confronting all the unjust power structures and bullying and and, and bad political theories and all of that stuff that's going on that so many of us are concerned by today. But I can tell you one thing. Based on God's word and how the Corinthians were acting and Paul's response to them, is I don't want to act like the world. I want us to act like Jesus, which is the way of love. You know, Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians had a power effect on the Corinthian believers. We certainly see that in 2 Corinthians because he brought a lot more to the table. But one thing in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul did address, and that was love. And this is what he said. I absolutely love this. He says, love is very patient and kind. It's never jealous or envious. It's never rude, boastful, or proud. Love is never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable or touchy. Love does not hold grudges and will hardly notice when others do it wrong. Love is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to them no matter what it costs. You'll always believe in them. You'll always expect the best of them, and you'll always stand your ground ground in defending them. This is what we need to be modeling in this moment. We need to stop acting like the world. Now, again, I want to say there are some of you, and I'm very proud of you, that are standing up and pushing it back. It's tyranny. You're getting involved in political arena. God bless you, man. My heart is so on fire for you guys. I think that's important. It doesn't mean we just lay down. But within the family, within the household of God, can we love each other? Can we stop fighting and arguing and bickering over stuff that is not going to mean a hill of beans in the end? I want all of us to hear, well done. Amen? Let's stand. Now, I shared a lot today. There's a lot to take in. And uh, I hope you heard my heart concerning mandates. The world certainly has mandates, but I think God has mandates that I want to follow. And to me, those come first. That's the way I've chosen to live my life, and that's the way I'll die living my life, seeking the kingdom of God first. And I've watched as I've done that. God has just given me God answers. He's helped my wife and I in so many ways, shapes, and forms just to navigate waters that are, whoa. I mean, we've... We've been there. We've got t-shirts to prove it. But I'll tell you, honoring God and honoring his ways is top priority. So I just want to ask if there's anyone here that, you know, you, you, you're wrestling that within your own heart. You know you need to make some adjustments in your thinking. I'd like you to come forward because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to put a bunch of music on. I just want this to be a heart moment. If that's you, if you want a little help, and you just we'll pray over you that God will help you adjust your thinking more in line with his word, that God will give you a hunger and a passion to know his word even more clearly. That's what's going to help us, guys. A lot of times we think we know the word, then we read it again, and it wasn't quite what we thought. But I'm telling you, love is the way. That is the only way. Amen? Amen. Could I get some ministry team up here, some of you guys up here to help pray behind these people? Thank you. Father, we just thank you for this moment. Father, I just ask right now that you would go down the corridor of our hearts. And Father, perhaps some of us have rooms that we have not allowed you to come into, that we've kept that door bolted. We weren't about to surrender that thought or that idea. And Father, we realize now that we need to give it all. And we need to allow your presence, your word, your power 
to come into that room and replace that thinking God that's just been off. Father, I pray for a hunger and a passion to know your word like we've never known before, God, that we'll wake up in the morning consumed with the thought, I'm hungry, I want to just eat the word. And Father, in that, you'll give us life. You'll rearrange, you'll change our thinking. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Father, I ask too that I know that some of us here are contending with some pretty big issues we're faced with. And Father, I pray right now that you would contend with those issues, that you would stand in front of those people and take care of those problems. You would give them the God answers, the supernatural wisdom from above of how to and what to and what to sign, what not to sign, how to write, how not to write something. Uh, Father, it's huge and complicated, but I know that in the end, God, I pray that their heart would be, I made the right decision. I'm trusting you, God, and I'm following you with all my heart. You've got this. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I think for a lot of you, God's about to turn on a light in that dark tunnel. It's coming on. And you're going to be able to see where to put your next foot and your next footstep and your next footstep. And you're going to walk into the very thing that God has for you. You know, I I want to say something really quick, too, for a moment, and that is, I know that historically, a lot of us have made decisions, and we went, oh, and afterwards, we really regretted it. But I'm telling you, that's what God's all about. He is a redeeming Father, and He takes those things that we could be haunted with, and He can make them good. He can make them just disappear. He can do all kinds of crazy, cool things that help us navigate those waters. Mm. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I just feel there's a word here. Um, I feel somebody has a word. I'll just wait one more moment and then we'll close. I just feel there's a word here. I wasn't sure, so that was the prompting. Um, yesterday, something happened that was kind of strange. I was uh, cleaning up some planters for winter and um, a tiny tree frog jumped out of it and came right at me like a flying squirrel and landed somewhere on my person, but I couldn't find him because he did the frog thing and blended in. And so before I went in the house, I called Gary outside to defrog me um, because there are things you can't see on you. And he didn't belong in the inside environment. He was fine in the environment he was in, but he didn't belong inside of our house. So I called Gary over to defrog me, and I had him check me from head to toe to make sure that I didn't have this hitchhiker going in the house with me. And in Luke 11.35, it says, don't mistake your opinions for revelation light. And God wants you to be able to hear for you what you are supposed to be doing. And that means quieting down all that other stuff And it's okay to tell him you're completely confused. It's okay to tell him you're not sure what he's saying versus what you're hearing somewhere else. But get somebody you trust who knows the word of God, who is capable of mentoring you to defrog you, to just check and see if there is something on you that is not lining up with the word of God which is fine in its environment, but doesn't belong on you. It doesn't belong inside. It doesn't belong inside your life. It doesn't belong inside what you're doing. And there is a huge difference between knowing and hearing for yourself 
and having an opinion. Once you've heard from God, you can stand on that no matter what. Um, Jonathan shared about God telling him not to wear a mask. I chortled throughout that whole message because I could hear his heart. God said to me at the beginning of this whole thing, I died on a cross for you. Will you wear a mask for me? Well, if you're going to put it in that light. And this morning I checked with him, and he's still telling me that same word. Is it okay? And are we in the same church? Yeah. For me to not wear a mask, I'd need to be defrogged. For him to wear one, he'd be wearing a frog. Do what God tells you to do for your situation. Amen. Well, that was a good full meal, right? God bless you guys. Have a glorious day.